Welcome, welcome. It's so nice to see you all here today. This is Action for Canada's Empower Hour pre-show. The videos you've been watching are played every week during the pre-show and we do this in order to showcase all the amazing resources available on our website. Now that you know why we play these videos every week, I'd like to encourage you to go to our website often in order to check out all the new content and information that is constantly being updated and uploaded. When you visit the homepage on our website, be sure to take advantage of our website directory. Just scroll down to the most popular pages where you'll find the icon for the website directory. Click on the icon to access quick links to all of our resources, including healthcare, travel, churches, youth, businesses, and much, much more, as well as previous recordings of the Empower Hour, Taboo Talks, and the Orientation. Here at Action for Canada, we are committed to taking a strong stand as we courageously defend Canadians' rights and freedoms. One of our goals is to teach Canadians that freedom of speech, thought, belief, and the right to life, liberty, and security of the person are guaranteed rights, and we do not need to beg, barter, or ask for them. They are God-given and inalienable, and they are ours for the taking. As we continue to courageously defend our rights and freedoms, we ask that you would consider supporting us with either a one-time donation or by becoming a monthly donor. Any amount helps, and we're so grateful for your financial support and your prayers as we continue to bring solutions and hope to our nation. Be sure to invite your family and friends to join us for tonight's show. And for those of you who are watching live on Facebook, click on the link provided so you can join this webinar and have access to the entire show, including being able to participate in the Q&A at the end of tonight's presentation. And now it's time for the, Orient for the Empower Hour. <laughs> Hello, hello. On behalf of everyone here at Action for Canada, I'd like to welcome you to the Empower Hour. We're so glad you can join us today. It's October 12th, 2022, and we have another great show planned for you. In just a few moments, Action for Canada's founder and leader, Tanya Gaw, will be coming to us live from Ottawa to share some stories and to give us her weekly update. And I'm so excited that today, David Cook will be joining her as well. Well, we have a surprise guest, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we equip citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family, and freedom. My friends, for many of you who are watching the Empower Hour today, you are well aware that we are in a battle for the hearts, minds, and freedoms of Canadians of all ages. And when I say of all ages, I mean from conception until natural death. Now, some of you are joining the Empower Hour for the very first time, and it's always my pleasure to introduce you to Tanya Gaw, the founder and leader of Action for Canada. For over seven years, Tanya has been working to bring awareness to the destructive 
conservative government policies that are tearing apart our beloved country. And she and her team have created an amazing campaign to bring truth to our nation. Because of Tanya's great love for our country, she's always willing to share information regarding our rights and freedoms. And her goal is to teach and empower Canadians to think critically and to learn how to stand up for their rights. Of special concern to her are our most vulnerable citizens who are often overlooked or who don't have a voice, including our youth, the elderly, and the disabled. We are so grateful that Tanya's faith in God gives her the courage to take a stand as she helps and inspires hurting people all across this nation. Tanya is joining us live from Ottawa today, and as a special surprise for all of us, she's sitting with Danielle, the Ottawa chapter leader. Will you all please help me welcome Tanya and Danielle? It's so good to see you both. Thank you, Heather, and welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight. As uh, Heather had mentioned, I'm here with Danielle, the Ottawa chapter leader. And uh, I just feel so privileged to have her on the show for a moment tonight because Danielle had worked very hard at organizing the rally here in Ottawa on behalf of Barry Newfeld, who was before the Supreme Court of Canada. I think it was one of the most critical cases, um, I would have to say, that's going on in Canada right now for the freedom of speech and advocating for the safety and well-being of our children at the hands of uh, really radical sex activists. Uh, the government wants to convince us that this is somehow involving the gay and lesbian community, but make no mistake, this is not um, about them. They've sabotaged their platform, and they're trying to uh, use that in order to attack our children in the schools and normalize something that just isn't normal. We've been talking about that for the last while, about grooming children. And uh, so anyways, we had lined up some incredible speakers yesterday. So how did you feel about things, Danielle? Well, first of all, I would like to uh, say how glad we are to have Tanya here in Ottawa. This was an extraordinary day. And um, in front of the Supreme Court of Canada. So this was really a statement that we so appreciate. Right, and I really loved it because, uh, well, David Cook is on tonight and he is with Campaign Life Coalition and Jack Von Senka joined us. He gave uh, two separate speeches as well as Pastor um, Andrew DiBartola from Liberty Coalition, Shannon Boshi, who is running as a school board trustee, uh, Chantel, who's a teacher running as a trustee, and Maxine Bernier. But I think that I think what we agreed upon as well was that just how in sync all of the speakers were and how bold they were in addressing this issue without mincing words, not worrying about being labeled um, as haters or racist or uh, homophobic, because that's not that's what the government wants to silence you on to silence us so that we can't talk about this very serious issue. Um, and then, of course, at the end of it, we had a great privilege of having Dr. Mary come on, who for those of you who uh, had signed on early, we had a video of her giving her testimony of being a doctor that has gone before the Ontario College of Physicians for writing exemptions for over I think it was 200 um, citizens in Ontario not to get the jab 
And uh, she is facing jail time right now. I, I'm not quite sure how, but she's an elderly, very petite lady, uh, a woman of faith, and she's willing to go to jail. I, I call her not only as Barry Newfeld a national hero for putting everything on the line and all the abuse that he has had to um, contend with from the radical LGBTQ side, but now we have the radical medical system who is trying to silence people and bully them into submission and possible even jail time. So we're, we need to hear more from Dr. Mary and we need to provide her support. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about uh, the day? Dr. Mary is a member of uh, Action for Canada here in Ottawa and she has been on since, since a year or two because she found uh, support where otherwise she would have been left alone. Mm -hmm. So she, she has been a strong supporter here in Ottawa, and as many others. And yesterday was just an example of another, another uh, event that is going on here in Ottawa. Yeah. So well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I just really want to thank you. This is an example. We've said that we're working real hard to get chapters across Canada into every single community. And when I look at the work that uh, Danielle has done along with her team in organizing to help organize this event, I just have to show up right? I mean, you and I did some planning in advance. There was a little bit of work there. But to be able to show up, to be around people like Maxime Bernier and Jack and, and so many others who spoke with conviction in their heart and who were um, willing to put themselves out there regardless of what the consequences may be. And I, I just feel like we are beginning to take back land that the enemy has stolen and we are exposing uh, these individuals. And as a result, as I've been mentioning, Action for Canada has been having incredible results because of all the work of our volunteers and our leaders across Canada. So it's really important that we continue to get into every community, every town, every city, and uh, that we support people like Dr. Mary and others that we've been highlighting. And so, yeah, just thank you so much. And I would like to say that uh, Tanya really set the tone because the, I see a level of commitment that I did not see before here in Ottawa. So I'm very, very, very happy of the results. Uh, it's, um, it, I'm sure you will, ha you will have the chance to see, uh, to see footage about that event. And I wish you, yes. I wish you, um, I wish you would, you would, um, uh, you would have, uh, take the time to view those that footage. Yes, the speeches. And just to say, we had a little trouble with uh, live streaming that yesterday, but we are going to put all of this onto a Rumble video, and then we'll be posting it on Facebook so that you at your leisure can go through and listen, listen to all the speakers. I really believe that every single one of them, uh, you know, with their convictions, had really nailed it as to why we're there. And I was just really so proud of everybody. And we ended up having um, other individuals that are going to be joining the Ottawa chat who ended up getting connected through this event as well. So I wouldn't mind doing a little more speaking across the country because there's so many good people out there who are working so hard for Canadian freedoms. All right. Well, thank you, Danielle. Terenzo, I'm just going to share my screen Sounds and good. Um, I'll get going on that a little bit and then just scoot through it. 
For those of you who are new, I always love sharing the chapter. I'm over here somewhere <laughs> down in this little corner of, of Canada, and I really don't want to take up too much time because I, I really want to get uh, David onto the show. With the Supreme Court, I would still, if you go onto our homepage, I still have this posted. If you click on this, it'll bring you to the very new felt. There are there's still money that needs to be raised for this man. I think about $30,000. And when we send it out to our massive email list, Campaign Life Coalition does, as uh, well as uh, Liberty Coalition, I expect that we can raise $60,000 pretty quick. So I thank everyone who's donated. If everybody, because I'm going to have a, a, a town councillor coming on uh, in, the, in the near future as well, that's in Newfoundland, who actually had a bullet go through his window because his stand not to take the jab. The mayor and city council had created so much hate towards him and I want to help this man out. I want to help him with his legal fees. If each of us committed to 10 or $20 each time something like this came up, I think that we could support it because when we go to uh, support Grant Abbott, this is uh, setting a precedent for all the other mayors and city councils who have been bullied into submission or discriminated against and hated on, just like Barry as a, as a school trustee was hated on in his community. And, and so we need to be sacrificial here, my friends. Um, I love that you're donating to Action for Canada. We appreciate it so much. I wish I could give uh, meet each one of you and give you a hug. That's how much gratitude I have towards it. But there are certain cases that we're taking on to frontline here that will help so many other individuals who have suffered in the same way. So please help us out when we send um, out a call to action to give. Please give. Give as generously as you can. I don't want to limit it to 10 or $20 because this could be you. This could be you in a legal action. And um, so again, I'm not guilting you into, do, I'm appealing to you <laughs> to give because we're all, we're all needing to, to be of support. For those of you who are new, our weekly emails under call to action in our menu are right here. I'm going to mention that under call to action, we used to have all of our current issues regarding the radical LGBTQ, abortion, Islam, etc. Now you would go under current issues in our main menu and this makes it a lot easier to navigate on your phone. This week we are covering a very critical issue and I've known David Cook for many years. Uh, we have come together on petitions and other uh, matters that were uh, addressing life and family and, you know, what was going to benefit the future of this nation. But so many people were just, you know, working and bringing their kids to school and they had no idea about the other matters that were going on. It was because you were comfortable and COVID made you uncomfortable and it made you realize we were a problem. But COVID wasn't the problem pre-COVID was. Pre-COVID, they were censoring freedom of speech. You had to talk with certain pronouns. You had to agree with other certain radical uh, belief systems. And we were in the background saying no and trying to proclaim that from the mountaintops. We got a bigger platform to do that. And so uh, some of you may be offended and say, you need to take that off your website. Don't talk about that issue. But promise me, if, if you have gained respect for Action for Canada and the platform which we founded on COVID saying this was a fraud right from the very beginning, right when it wasn't popular or known, we put our necks out there. Even other organizations wouldn't step out there and say this was a fraud. And we did that. So I'm asking you to trust us 
that the other issues that we're dealing with, whether radical LGBTQ, there are reasons. Go into our information. See how the agenda is to sexualize our children. The other thing is, as you can see, we have a great artist on our team. A big shout out to Hans and thank you. But look at this. All right. We're talking about made. We're talking about this uh, death shot. Murder is happening in the nation. So we start out with life and we flatline through euthanasia. And uh, at first, the government always wants to take it and sell it where he can buy on Canadians' no, uh, emotions, right? And so for those who are terminally ill with stage four cancer, why not just give them a shot and give them eternal peace, right? But we knew that by opening that door, it's still murder. And by opening that door, the government, this is a culture of death, they weren't going to stop there. This is about uh, bringing down world population. This is about uh, making room. So if I go down here a little bit more, we're talking about the amount of killings that's on this page. But I just wanted to talk about as well, the euthanasia, the millions in health healthcare costs. They're not even embarrassed. They're not even trying to hide it about by killing off the elderly. Wow, that's easier on the budget. We don't have to worry about caring for elderly. You've seen what they've done to them through COVID. It is absolutely criminal. And the Bible tells us very, very important in the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall honor your father and mother and you shall not commit murder. Our elderly were not honored. Justin Trudeau, the Liberals, the NDP, all of these individuals sitting in office have not honored our mother and father, and they are committing murder en masse across this nation. And so I'm just going to unshare my screen there. Um, you know, I should have started with this when we were talking about Barry, but I, I want to read you something else. And, and this has to do with the government trying to change the language trying to manipulate manipulate how you think. And one of those ways is buying to destroy the sanctity of life, but also the how God created male and female. And so even though this is a little bit of a sidetrack, I want to read you this poem. I started to write it the other morning before I went to uh, to speak at the event. And when I was thinking about one of the things that we're facing there is me as a woman you know, that we're supposed to be concerned about offending transgenders. You know what? Stop it. They need to start worrying about offending me as a woman and about offending men and trying to emasculate them. So this is my, this is my poem, and this is to all you men and women out there. I said, don't, don't disgrace me. Erase me or try to replace me. You see, I was crafted in my mother's womb, not a tomb, not a surgical room but within the safe and miraculous walls of my mother's nurturing womb. You try to fabricate, impersonate, replicate, denigrate, and eliminate what a woman is. Give your head a shake, you're a fake. Full woman, bro woman, they, them, and zir, zir woman. God the creator, he is our maker. The final authority, to him be the glory. He designed you, he breathed life into you. Before life began, he had you and I in his perfect plan. A word to the men, the enemy's agenda is to emasculate, castrate, neuter, and effeminate. But you were made to be strong and courageous, so set aside the lies of the enemy, the gender non-conforming identity. God created you special 
as the provider, the supporter, the protector, the warrior. We need you desperately to stand up and be counted unquestionably. And when I think about that message and how far it extends, David Cook, to me, is a man who's a warrior. He's standing on the front line of these issues. This is a man, how God created him. At all costs, at all loss, he's willing to stand up for life, from conception to natural death. It doesn't involve murder. It doesn't um, make a matter of, you know, a human being thinking that they have a right to give somebody a needle and to end their life. And so with that, Heather, would you be so kind, please, to introduce this fine Thank man? You, Tandy, and thank you, Thank you for your updates. And I am so pleased to welcome Mr. David Cook for his very first appearance on the Empower Hour. David is the National Campaign Manager for the Campaign Life Coalition, which focuses on pro-life and pro-family initiatives. He is also the author of the powerful new book, Trudeau's Made Service, a euthanasia program for Canada. In this book, David outlines the Trudeau government's killing protocols for the diseased, disabled, and depressed. Concealed under the newly invented right to die, the government has actually created a right to kill, putting everyone at risk and corrupting our healthcare system in the process. From the back cover of his book, David says, when a country decides to remove the commandment, thou shalt not kill, no one is truly safe. David is a Canadian hero on the front lines of this fight as he advocates for the unborn, the disabled, the elderly, the terminally ill, and now anyone who is depressed and unable to cope. Will you all please help me welcome Mr. David Cook. Hi, David. So good to have uh, you on the show. Uh, Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you, Heather. All right. Well, David, like I said, my dear friend, you and I have been working in the past together on many different issues. But once COVID kind of hit, Action for Canada went in that direction full on. And even though I was talking about uh, some of these issues, you continued uh, to bring awareness through Campaign Life Coalition and talk about these important matters. So without further ado, I just want to hand the floor over to you and uh, provide your presentation. And then I just want to, you're going to have uh, questions down in reactions. Sorry that there's a Q&A button down at the bottom of Zoom. You can put your questions in as David's speaking and we'll get those in the end and near the end as well if you raise your hand. Anybody who's on Facebook Live, Please join the Action for Canada webinar if you are wanting to participate in the questions. Okay, David, over to you. All right, uh, Tanya, it's just such a a privilege to be here on your uh, Empower Hour and uh, to be talking with you again. Uh, We have worked together for a number of years on on very critical issues, and and you are also (laughs) a true hero uh, here in our country. Uh, fighting for our freedoms um, uh, when our freedoms are under fire. Uh, I want to share today uh, a little about my book, uh, which is uh, exposing the euthanasia agenda, a deadly agenda here in Canada. Uh, my book, it's just a quick, short little read. It's called Trudeau's Maid Service, Euthanasia Program for Canada. Um, which is available on Amazon or also through uh, the, the publisher website, baptist.org. Um, but I want to talk about 
Trudeau's maid service. How many Canadians really know what this thing called maid is all about? Uh, maybe they've heard the term maid or medical assistance in dying. It kind of sounds um, very helpful. It sounds positive. Um, after all, who wouldn't, wouldn't want you know maid service? I mean, my house could use a good cleaning. I, I, I could definitely use some maid service, and, and it's free. Uh, that's wonderful. And even we're told it's, it's our right. Uh, wow. Um, so that, that sounds good. Uh, but, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't actually imagine that what, what they're talking about, uh, made, this is actually murder. Uh, it's unbelievable. But I think that's the point. It's all part of a devilish deception, uh, manipulation, uh, a double speak. You're like most Canadians, you live your life, you do your job, you care for your family, but you're not really super engaged when it comes to the uh, political sphere. You don't know too much about what's really going on inside Ottawa. And certainly when it comes to healthcare policies, um, it's even more obscure. It's a mystery. And we, we kind of have been lulled into this state, especially pre-COVID, of just trusting the people in charge and trusting our venerable institutions uh, and like I said, at least that's what we did before the COVID mandates hit. Um, when we heard about MAID, uh, it's been around just for a few years. Um, we we might have thought, well, this is just simply some sort of pain relief, uh, allowing a dying person to die without prolonging their suffering needlessly. Uh, we might have thought, well, it's just, you know, not keeping people alive artificially beyond their time. You know, who wants to do that, keep people on machines for, for years, you know, that's a terrible thing. Um, so we may have thought that's what it, that's what this is, right? Uh, maybe we've even seen one of those propaganda ads running in our hospitals promoting MAID, and there are ads running uh, on the TV screens in the emergency room uh, in different places in the hospital. And I've got a, a picture of one of those ads in my book, uh, and maybe we've seen those and we thought, oh, this is just something that's there to help people who are dying. Um, maybe we're, we've kind of been lulled into uh, that misinformation. Um, but if there's anything we've learned from the last uh, two and a half years of, of COVID crisis, it's that we need to be very skeptical and very critical when it comes to what our political and especially our medical leaders want to push on us. And that's really why I wrote this little book on MAID. I want to dispel the confusion, expose the, the lies, and reveal what MAID is in fact. And Justin Trudeau and his, his radical liberal government have unleashed this program on our Canadian society. They are the ones responsible, and they need to be held to account. And my goal with this little book, it's just a short little book, 30-odd pages, uh, my goal is twofold. I want to get it into as many hands as possible, just, just to get Canadians aware, opening people's eyes to the truth and warning them of the dangers and risks that are now present in our healthcare system. Uh, dangers that are, are there for not only those who may be vulnerable, such as our, our, our parents and grandparents, uh, our senior population, uh, those facing some sickness, but even everyday Canadians with maybe a disability, or with other issues, depression perhaps. Uh, there are some real serious dangers and risks now that we are facing. Uh, and also, secondly, I want to put this book into the hands of every single member of parliament uh, to inform them, yes, to educate them, 
but to call them to account because they are the ones who have perpetrated this, who, who have foisted this on our nation, and they're the ones who could uh, stop it. And so I am also um, running a fundraising campaign to get this book um, delivered to every MP. And so far, we've gotten it to uh, the Conservative MPs, 118, and we're working on getting uh, funds to send to the rest. Now, uh, as we get into a little bit more dis discussion on MADE, I want to make something absolutely clear. MADE is something that we have never before seen in Canadian history. It is totally, radically unprecedented. Every law on the books, the verdict of the courts, fully agreed from 1867 until 2015. That's our entire history as a country until seven short years ago. Um, and going back before Canada was a country, we have never seen this before in centuries of British history and law. It is completely foreign, a foreign concept, contrary to our common law and common sense, antithetical to our cherished, inherited Western values and principles. This is something totally, radically different. Before MAID was enacted into law, this practice, this barbaric practice, fell under the heading of homicide under our Canadian criminal code. It has always been considered uh, a planned and deliberate act of murder. That's what we read in the criminal code under homicide. But now, uh, since it has been, this particular act has been legalized, certain murders, certain homicides are legal, and certain Canadians are legally killable. So I want you to think about that. There are certain groups and classes of Canadians now that are identified as legally killable. And no, we're not talking about execution of like mass murderers. <laughs> Capital punishment was made illegal in Canada in 1976. I just want to point that out. And it's still illegal. Capital punishment is illegal. You, you can't kill a mass murderer. No. Um, but with Trudeau's maid service, with his maid program, you can murder Canadians, not criminals, um, Canadians who are innocent of any crime. But they are hurting, they are vulnerable, often suggestible. And if they consent, they can be killed. Now, let's look at what happens in a typical made death. So in 97% of made deaths, what takes place is you have a doctor or a nurse. It doesn't have to be a doctor. It could just be a nurse who administers a, a series of injections that at first put the person into a coma. It usually takes uh, five, 10 minutes, might take longer. And then administering another injection or some added, uh, added drugs to uh, produce cardiac arrest, again, could take some time beyond that uh, with the intent that that person, that patient would be killed. Um, under the made law, the patient is supposed to be sick or disabled in some way that is debilitating. And uh, that patient is supposed to provide some form of consent 
uh, whatever that means in our post-COVID world, of course. But one thing I want to make clear, consent or no consent, sick or not sick, disabled or not disabled, murder is murder. And legalizing murder for any reason or for any group of people is a recipe for disaster. And at its heart, it's a crime against humanity. So how did we get to this point? How did we get here in basically seven short years? Well, back in 2015, the Supreme Court made a ruling in the Carter case. And these nine robed unelected judges, they decided that they would break all precedent and that they would decree that somewhere hidden within our constitutional right to life was a secret, I guess, because we don't see it there. It's a secret right to die. So somehow they found this right to die. But when they say right to die, they don't just mean a right to die naturally um, without excessive and artificial medical intervention. That's, that's not what they're talking about. That was already established long ago. Uh, what they meant in this hitherto unknown right was a really a right to kill, a right for one Canadian to murder his or her consenting victim. And then to make this sound somehow more appealing to assuage our moral sensibilities, they sugarcoated this with a euphemism, medical assistance in dying, or MAID. We have MAID service. And who can complain about free maid service? Now, when the Supreme Court made this ruling in 2015, they handed it over to Parliament. They said, you, you need to make a law to make um, this type of murder legal, because, of course, it's illegal. And the Trudeau government, which had just, um, just was elected at that time, um, they had the opportunity right off the bat to reject this ruling under our Constitution's notwithstanding clause. They could have, and they should have, affirmed the inherent dignity and the God-given value of every human life. They should have said, no, no, there's no right to kill. Uh, the right to life is so important for everyone. we got to protect everyone, especially the most vulnerable. But they chose, rather, instead of um, taking that high road, that they would take the low road and uh, take advantage of this opportunity to pass the buck in terms of the blame for this idea to the Supreme Court. And they can say, well, we're just going to do what they tell us to do. We're following orders. Let's put in this new law. And uh, so they went and put together a law that would allow murder in certain cases for certain classes of people. Now, at this time, the Minister of Justice was Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, you, you probably know about her. Uh, it, uh, later on, of course, uh, she made a courageous stand uh, against uh, Trudeau and left uh, the Liberal caucus. But at this time, she was uh, sadly uh, playing the stooge for Trudeau's agenda. She was, she was going along with, with his agenda. But it's very interesting. When she was bringing forward this law to legalize euthanasia, to legalize MAID, she, she said this in the, on the floor of the House of Commons, and I want to quote her. She said, medical assistance in dying is exceptional because from a criminal law perspective, it is a situation where one person 
actively and knowingly participates in the death of another. We criminalize and strongly condemn this conduct in all other circumstances, end quote. So did you hear that? She said, we criminalize and strongly condemn this conduct in all other circumstances. Well, actually, it's, it's just condemned and it's criminalized because it's a crime. Uh, made is a crime. So why did they legalize it? Uh, why did they uh, decide that they would go along with this, this crazy idea that the Supreme Court brought forth, these nine justices uh, who were basically uh, pushing this agenda, this very liberal agenda? Why did the uh, government go along with it and legalize it, rubber stamp it? Well, was it to save our healthcare system dollars? <laughs> Probably that's part of it. Because it does. It takes uh, a lot less money to kill a patient than to provide genuine care and support um, over, over months, years. Um, yeah, saves millions of dollars. Uh, does it perhaps reduce the population? Yes, it does. Uh, there's a population reduction agenda going on. Um, a lot of people who are pushing the green agenda want to see population reduced. Um, does this idea of made does it does it resonate in the radical base of the Liberal Party? <laughs> yes, uh, there is a political motive here. The, the radical left base of that party uh, was pushing for this for years. Um, and of course, we have seen a lot of uh, liberal legislation over the years, and and really. This is simply the next step down the slippery slope of our country's moral and spiritual decay. Uh, so it's just kind of continuing that trend. Now, whatever the root cause, the political agenda, the devilish philosophy behind it made is murder. And it is, it is wrong. Uh, we simply don't murder our fellow human beings. That, that's just, we have to draw a line there. Uh, we don't we don't murder uh, other people, people made in God's image, people possessing equal rights, dignity, value. And that's not what an enlightened, civilized society does. I mean, that's something that no one has done up until uh, I think the first country to do it was around 2004. Um, and and Canada was only the fifth country. Uh, four other little tiny countries <laughs> did it before us just a few years before us, and then we decided to start doing it too. But this is not what enlightened, civilized societies do. Uh, we, we give no one the right to kill. We don't do that. We, we, we give no one the right to kill, and we make no one. We make sure no one and no class of people are killable. We, we should never be doing that. Instead, what we must do as a society is to provide appropriate support, pain relief, Counseling, life-affirming treatment options, encouragement, caring, uh, and unwavering respect for a person's life and soul until their natural end. That's what we should be doing. That's, that's where our Canadian heart should be. We, we don't treat our fellow man like a sick old dog that we put down. Um, some people use that analogy, and it's absurd. We need to have such a high view of our fellow man, of our brothers and sisters, uh, and their rights and dignity, that we would never even entertain 
the thought of killing. We would never go there. We need to heed the words of sacred scripture that say, thou shalt not kill. Uh, that is a commandment. And we need to remember that God, our creator, has decreed from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, he says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds, man, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Now, this is a pretty, a pretty serious rule. We don't break it. Uh, we don't, we don't want to break this rule. Uh, we don't take it lightly. Now, this rule, it doesn't mean that we should be putting people on machines and keeping them alive artificially forever and ever. That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is we don't hasten people's demise, and we certainly don't actively murder them. There's a difference. How can we imagine, how can we imagine per permitting in law one human to rise up and kill another innocent human? How could we give anyone that power? Especially when the murder victim, this victim, is vulnerable, sick, weak, perhaps depressed, perhaps feeling neglected, useless, thinking they're a burden. Where will that take us? And we say that a medical professional, a doctor, a nurse, someone in a position of authority and influence should be the one to brandish this power over their impressionable patients? It's crazy. But you know, it's been tried and it's been done before. And the results have been disastrous. In the back of my, my book, uh, there's a little appendix, uh, a few pages in the back where I provide a reprint of a 1933 newspaper article from the New York Times. And that article is entitled, Nazis Plan to Kill Incurables to End Pain. This was written um, just a few years before the war, uh, when Germany was still considered, uh, had a lot of favorable press, let's say, in America. And in that 1933 article, we read about the German Ministry of Justice, like our own Ministry of Justice, calling for suffering and dying people to be killed with consent, and uh, also in the interests of humanity. Now, just in case, if you're wondering if I'm going too far to compare Trudeau's maid service to the Nazi euthanasia program, which led eventually to the Holocaust, I want to point out two facts which you can read in my book. One, Canadian maid deaths have been multiplying year upon year since 2016. And there's a chart in my book that shows this. Last year, there were over 10,000 killings. And over the total course of the last uh, six years, over 30,000. Like the Nazi program, the numbers are growing. And they're growing fast. Second, the category of killable people is expanding in Canada, just as it did in Germany. At first, only those who were terminally ill were eligible in Canada. But in 2021, with the passage of Bill C-7, that was expanded. And now it includes people who aren't even dying. People who might actually be quite healthy and functional otherwise. But if they happen to have some sort of disability that debilitates them in one area of their life, maybe they're blind, they're deaf, they're in a wheelchair, 
And if that's vexing to them, if they, if they feel a burden somehow because of that, they can qualify. And then next year, on March 17th, 2023, if you are depressed, you have an anxiety disorder. Uh, and, and who hasn't had a lot of anxiety over these last two years? Uh, maybe you suffer from some kind of mental illness. Well, you too will be deemed killable. You will be a killable person. You just need to consent. Though, of course, can a mentally ill person truly give consent? Apparently so, under the new definition of consent. Tim Stanton, uh, the director of the Canadian Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship at the University of British Columbia, described Canada's made law in this way. He said, it is probably the biggest existential threat to disabled people since the Nazis program in Germany in the 1930s. That is saying a lot. And if we look over the last couple of years at the people who have been killed under the MEAD program, we see a lot of, a lot of uh, frightening cases. We have seen people euthanized because of a bad housing situation. One woman in Ontario in February couldn't get good housing where she was living. The neighbors were vexing her with their smoke smell, marijuana smell. And she opted for euthanasia because she couldn't find a new home. She was euthanized February, just this February. There, there have been people with anorexia, eating disorders, euthanized, people who felt they had despair. We are seeing more patients being propositioned with euthanasia now by hospital staff or government workers, people who are suggesting that they should consider this option, even if it never entered their mind. There are some people who are saying they're so poor that they can't afford to take care of themselves properly and they want to die. But you know, that's not all. I wish that were all, that's bad enough. But I'll tell you, last Friday, in a parliamentary committee in Ottawa, Dr. Louis Roy, representing the Quebec College of Physicians, called for the murder of deformed and sick children under age one, under, under an expanded MAID program. So this man representing Quebec doctors is calling for deformed children to be murdered. And so we see this, this idea of consent, this sham of consent is now being peeled away. And we are starting to step into the realm that the Nazis became so expert in years after they launched their own euthanasia program, killing those who were unacceptable for medical or racial hygiene reasons without any pretext of consent. Like the Nazis of old, Canada has opened up Pandora's box of killing, and it will take an act of God to close it again, but closed it must be. And the commandment, thou shalt not kill, must be restored. So just in closing, I want to ask the question, what can we do? What needs to be done? Well, first of all, we each individually need to take action. We can't leave this up to other people, other organizations. I can't leave it up to the heroes. We all have to be a hero in this uh, campaign. We need to offer genuine life-affirming medical care, support, compassion, counseling, assistance, soul care to sick, disabled, and depressed Canadians. We need to advocate for caring, not killing. We need to advocate for suicide prevention, not suicide provision. 
And that means we need to get involved in organizations and ministries that are, that are caring for the sick. And at the very least, we need to visit the sick. Um, second, we got to reach out to our lawmakers, our legislators, and pray that God would awaken their consciences. And uh, if you want to help me to reach out to them, um, I have a fundraiser going. We're trying to get my book out to every MP. But last but not least, we do need to share the truth with our neighbors, our friends, our family. I gave a copy of my book to my eye doctor last, last week. I don't even know her. <laughs> I just thought, I'm going to give it to her. She's, she's a doctor. And uh, a few days later, I went back in. And she said, oh, that was excellent. Uh, I gave it to my husband to read, and he thought it was great. Uh, hey, that's, that's wonderful. And, and that's one of the reasons I made this little book. It's short. It's sweet. It's, it's readable. It's information-packed. I want to get it out and, and have it shared. Um, so those are some things we need to do. But we, we need to act because you know what? Um, this, is, this is killing Canadians. And who knows when the next big crisis hits, um, let's hope that the next mandate we don't see is, is not a mandate for me because it's a medical procedure. Um, so anyhow, I want to thank you, Tanya, for giving me some time to share. Well, David, yeah, I don't, I don't want to even limit you on what you were saying, but I wanted to help people to have a little bit of a visual um, so that they can try to uh, grasp what it is that you're saying for those who are visual. Uh, Terenzio, is it okay to share my screen for a moment? Sure is. All right, super. Um, so when David was talking about the numbers, and um, so again, for those of you who are new, our weekly emails, if you haven't joined Action for Canada, please join us. What we try to do each week when we have a special guest on is we, we try to give you the Coles notes of what's going on, a crash course, you know, in about 10 minutes or so that you could start at the top. We make an opening statement and we do consider this an act of murder, as David has clearly said. Then we introduce our guest. When you go to David's page, it's wonderful because then you could read more about who our guest is, David his um, work with Campaign Life Coalition, but if there's books to order, how to donate to his cause as well. I think, David, it's amazing the work that you're doing in pressing in and in educating our MPs because those who are advocating for uh, this to be done, they're wanting to make this out as if it's a noble step towards helping those who are suffering. And many members of parliament are not being uh, doing their due diligence before they vote on a bill. Uh, they're not permitting expert witnesses to be coming to the legislature. Uh, they're hearing one side of it, and it's usually those who are advocating for this. And so I just want to encourage people to come to Action for Canada's page, uh, look at how you can donate to help David get this book. As he said, it's a very simple, easy to, to read, but it's very powerful. It is so powerful and so impactful. And then um, in the action that we create, I try to bring up information that uh, David as well has spoken about. And if you look at this, a comment that he made was 30,000 Canadians were euthanized and that how that's comparable to the whole population of Stratford, Ontario. And so what if all of a sudden 30,000 people were murdered? Would anybody be saying anything about it? And uh, you know, like I said, this started out talking about individuals that were stage four cancer in order to open the door. 
And when you approve one kind of murder, evil has no limit. And so they will continue. It's still same with the radical LGBTQ. You thought that same-sex marriage was just so that they would, you know, be able to love whoever they wanted to love. But the radicals had a different thing in mind. And it was to go towards this program. And we have evidence of it, decades worth of them moving towards a program to sexualize their children. So on this side of it, there is always an evil side. If the government is victimizing anybody, you've got to ask what their agenda is. And so when we take a look at these shocking numbers in 2016, 1,018 people, and in 2021, 10,000, what do you think 2022 is going to look like? The amount of people who have been forced into poverty, lost their jobs, lost their homes, have lost their families, lost relationship with loved ones over the divisiveness of this COVID fraud, how are they going to be lining up, you know, to have this, uh, you know, as I've said here, they're already standing on the ledge and this just gives them a push. It makes it easier to know that they don't have to hit the ground and not know how that would feel like they're going to get a lethal injection. And they, they won't even do that easily, you know, to the worst criminals in our prison right now. So it's very nefarious. Think about all of the kids now who have been forced. I've been showing images right now of young girls who have had their breasts removed. And there is transgender regret is just absolutely blowing up right now as these young people are realizing what they allowed adults to do in abusing them and mutilating their bodies, you know, sterilizing them. How are they going to respond? Is this going to also be easy for them as an alternative I don't know if you've been through, but euthanizing veterans. Uh, it was actually, you know, those veterans that have PTSD and are really struggling. Wow, that's an easy fix, right? Is it really? Is that right? Because we should sure be giving them support and counseling and the, everything that they need after fighting for our country, not a lethal shot. And then, David, I'm just going to close with this we'll, with um, Bill C-230. If you and I, I'll stop share screening now. We could talk a little bit about the uh, vote that went through the House last week. Yes, um, that was Kelly Block's bill, a Conservative MP uh, from out west. And uh, it was a conscience rights bill. So basically, um, uh, it, it's, it's basically saying, okay, well, if, if we're allowing killing and murder uh, under MAID, uh, then let's say that doctors and nurses who have a conscientious objection who believe rightly that this is murder and they don't want to participate they want to save lives instead of take lives uh let's give them the right to not participate it's kind of basic it's actually constitutional but unfortunately a number of our um colleges of physicians and surgeons i'm thinking of ontario but uh, all over canada are saying doctors have no choice. They have to participate. At the very least, they have to provide an effective referral to someone who will do the deed, which is basically aiding and abetting a murder. Um, so this bill at least was going to provide some protection to doctors and nurses. But, yeah, I mean, fortunately, it went uh, went for a vote, and it was voted down. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was just shocked when I saw, well, I'm not shocked because Justin Trudeau and the mob, these liberal MPs, and one day, boy, if they're not held 
you know, to justice in the in the courts here on earth. They certainly will be when they stand before their creator. They try to deny him now, but judgment is coming. And, you know, I, I looked at that and I, I think about the doctors already through the COVID fraud who have been forced out of their um, profession because they wouldn't go along with murder of another another lethal injection. And now these doctors with a conscience and who uphold their oath to first do no harm are, are going to be denied their profession due to another lethal injection. And it is absolutely so criminal. And, and people are saying, yeah, you know what, the Liberals had the support of the NDP and they ended up passing, you know, again, this bill or denying it. And it, it, they think, what happens to the Constitution? You know, Section 52.1 that says anything that is in, because it is the supreme law of Canada, and it says right there that we can't commit murder. So they've created a dueling law, stamped it, rubber stamped it as a, as a part of the criminal code now, but it can't even exist. It's against the coronation oath. It's against the Constitution. Um, what's your response to that, David? Is this just a matter of like drastic civil uh, uh, disobedience is going to take place where we say, no, we reject this en masse? Right. I mean, that's what's got to happen. Basically, um, doctors, nurses, um, medical community needs to reject this and and not participate in it uh, come what may. And unfortunately, right. there are going to be doctors losing their license. They're going to be um, perhaps some going to prison. And um, but it, to not speak is not an option. This is a matter of life and death. Um, and. Is it's vital that we witness for life and uh, we stand up for the vulnerable. These are vulnerable people at risk, impressionable people, hurting people. And it's in the context of a healthcare system that is very sad and uh, not, not serving people as it should. So we need to stand up yeah. for them. Yeah, it's, 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 we're, it's just corrupted and we're going to have to create a parallel healthcare system and I know many people, you know, in provinces across Canada are creating those, all these nurses out of work, all the doctors, they're, they're going to find a different way to give care to um, individuals as we strategize across the nation to get into every town and community and build those up from within so that we can take back every level of government. And I think that's going to be a key part of it. Um, I know you're familiar with Angelina Ireland in B.C., and they had a beautiful hospice center to give really respectful care to people, you know, who are at end of life and into natural death. And, uh, you know, the BC government got involved and they ended up uh, stating that they had to provide euthanasia in the hospice facility, which is outside of their constitution. And they had a, a, a euthanasia facility. I can't remember if it was next door or across the street. And they ended up just forcing this uh, hospice to close. They are, they are finding the funds. They took their facility. I think it was worth $600,000 that money, people had donated. It was just so corrupt and so criminal. So what do you have to say, you know, to people who have their family in hospice and these, these, these death sergeants are coming around and checking on them to see if they want to commit euthanasia today. Hey, let, let us help you peacefully end your suffering. Like, mm -hmm. you know, are you hearing about any of this happening? And the scary thing is under C7, uh, which is the law now, um, you have same day euthanasia, where if you're in a situation like 
a hospice, you're, you're maybe dying or you're very sick. Um, yeah, that doctor can come around and ask you when you're in a weak, vulnerable state. You say, yeah, maybe you don't really know what you're saying or what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I offer you maid? Oh, yeah, I'd like some maid service, please. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that right then and there, they could come in mm-hmm. and they can take your life. And then what are yeah. you going to do? They'll say, oh, the person consented and asked for it. And they don't need any 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 special, you know, witnesses or they just need to have that uh, on paper but you know what happened to delta hospice is just tragic and uh hospices uh, the the soul of hospice care palliative care is uh providing comfort support love and care right to natural death the whole concept Mm -hmm. of, of euthanasia is an abomination to palliative and hospice care, traditional hospice care, and many palliative organizations are so opposed to it. And not, I'm, I'm talking secular uh, palliative care organizations, uh, not not just Christian or ones of faith, but right. it is just it, it just it strikes at the core of, against the core of of what true care, palliative care, is all about. Once you start introducing the possibility of murder. Uh, it destroys yeah. trust, relationships, it destroys the care, uh, and they know it. Oh, it's so frightening. I know so many people are already concerned about leaving their parents um, in in homes at this point, you know, over the uh, COVID jab. And now it's a matter of, you know, who and which ones are going around and offering to euthanize parents without the their children's adult children's, uh, you know, advice, we've already, I think mm-hmm. that we need to come up with another document, a notice of liability that would um, hold them liable and use the term very clearly that this would be murder, because I don't believe that the criminal code, the current one based on this euthanasia, I, I don't believe that it is legitimate. It is in complete violation of the constitution. And as I've been you know, David Lindsay is the one that taught me about the coronation oath. It's a living, breathing, active document. It's never been amended. It came before the Constitution and the Charter of Rights and the Bill of Rights. It is the longest living document that we have that they want buried. But it is it is the document that was signed saying that Canada would be uh, governed by biblical Christian principles. And this is a very valuable and very good thing. And, you know, as I said on the onset, the Bible says very clearly, you know, that uh, murder is an abomination. And and so, yeah, it's, it's a bit distressing how you can have these dueling laws. And I just take that stand that we've just got to actively participate in our freedom, civil disobedience, and not just roll over and accept this. I want to get to a couple of questions. I know that you're an hour ahead. You're in New Brunswick now and not in Ontario anymore. And so, Terenzio, are there any hands up at this point? Yes, we have a hand up from Bob. Bob, you should see a little message pop up on your screen to unmute. And for those who would like to ask Tanya and David a question, if you go down to the bottom of your Zoom and just raise your hand virtually and we will put you into queue. Uh, Bob, are you with us? You should oh, see a message. We have a... Yeah. Can you unmute, Bob? I don't right. know what that is with Zoom, but you know what? In the Q&A, we have some real good questions. And so, oh, did Bob come up or? Nope. All right. I, I think he did. Yeah. Is he unmuted? Oh, yeah. Bob, can you uh, ask your question? 
Nope, there still seems to be some difficult technical difficulties. We have another person if you'd like me to bring him up. Yes, please. Sorry okay. about that, Bob. All right, next person is Lee. Can you hear me? We can. Yes, Lee. Oh, good. Hello. Um, hi. Um, there's a, a thing in BC called MOST. It's Medical Order for Scope of Treatment. Would that be considered as a form of euthanasia? Like what happened was my mom had to go to the hospital for the 9th of July. And uh, and eventually she just didn't want to live anymore because my stepfather passed away in March. And, um, and there's a, a classification one where it's a supportive care system. Um, just make sure they're not uh, feeling the pain. And it says to let them die naturally. But could that be a form of euthanasia? It's a good question. David, can you answer I, that? I, Are I'm you familiar really, with it at uh, all? I'm not familiar with, with that particular order. Um, so uh, if it does talk about allowing pe people to die naturally, I would assume that that's not dealing with euthanasia or MAID. Uh, I would hope. You never what know. It, so. <laughs> what yeah, it says for M1, definitely... uh, like there's, there's different classifications. There's C2 which is critical care intervention, including CPR. C1 mm -hmm. is about the same and it goes to M3, M2 and M1. M1 is uh, just supportive care, symptom management and comfort measures only allow a natural death. Um, and yeah, no, I think what I, Lee, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there's a no resuscitate order. There are orders yeah. where um, I know my grandmother had signed it. She was 90 years old. And, you know, sometimes the elderly are going to just slip away or, you know, have a heart attack and uh, pass. And at 92 years old, they just say, don't resuscitate me. And that is the natural death that David was yeah. talking about. And mm -hmm. uh, so I believe that that's uh, sounding more like what your, yeah, so it may be sounding yeah. more like what your mom's wishes were. And yeah, she, um, as David was saying, mm hmm Originally, she yes. wanted to be resuscitated, but uh, after after a while, uh, uh, she decided not to be. Um, she just yes. couldn't live with the pain anymore. Uh, they were married for forty three years, but it, right. Thank I you. feel kind of guilty about it because I she could have lived if she just ate and and took her medication, but she just didn't want to do it anymore. But yeah, so know, you so know what, Lee? Maybe. I'm yeah, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, but you know what, that's where a, a person's natural wishes are. Uh, and there are some individuals after losing their spouse, uh, it's very common, you know, that they pass shortly after. I don't think it sounds like it was something nefarious. Uh, I know that David, you had mentioned earlier about uh, life support, right, and prolonging a person's life. And that's something that I've wrestled with too, is that, you know, it's different when somebody's in a coma and, you know, people will wake up from a coma, but prolonging somebody's life, you know, who has had a very serious incident happen and their, their quality of life is not going to be uh, good, but naturally they could pass. And so there's a very fine line before between life naturally taking a person and, and then forcing treatments on someone to that of actual murder and euthanizing them to end their life. 
Yeah, there, there's a really clear distinction uh, with euthanasia. Um, we're talking about taking active steps to end a person's life. Um, to Now, the person, yeah, may be dying, but you are hastening that. You're doing something actively, whether giving them a, a, a lethal injection uh, or, or, you know, doing something to, to kill them actively that's mm-hmm. euthanasia but yes there are times when you know we we allow a person to die naturally the interventions would be uh, burdensome and and may uh, may cause other problems that we don't want to see um, my own mother she passed away last last year in um, in a hospice in Owen Sound Ontario and uh, she basically was in a, a state where she couldn't, she couldn't really do too much. And, and we kind of allowed uh, her to pass naturally. Um, and and it was, it was, um, she was in a state where she wouldn't have been able to live long, but we, did not, we, didn't, we didn't do anything to hasten that. Um, and uh, we always made sure she was comfortable and had pain relief but never overstepping that line where pain relief was literally to kill her. Uh, so there is yeah. a difference and, and it's uh, at a root level, it's, you got to look at the intention and what you, what you, what your purpose is and what you want your heart. It always comes down to the heart. Mm-hmm. Right. And then from there, uh, the actions that are taken. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, thank you for that, David. I know with my own grandmother, she was so dear to me. Uh, I had a very, very special relationship with my grandmother. And at the age of 91, she declined very, very quickly to the point, but boy, was she a tough nugget. She came through the war with four boys and my mom, so (laughs) on her own into Canada. And uh, she didn't let go easy in the end, even though she always talked, she was a woman of great faith and being with Jesus. But it took her a month to decline. And my uh, uncles, my four uncles, plus some of their wives and my mom and I, we, we always took turns sitting vigil with her. And I can remember her favorite song was Amazing Grace singing that in her ear, holding her hand. Um, And, uh, you know, she wasn't alone when she passed. And I think people are becoming so busy and we're used to sticking elderly, uh, you know, people in in, um, our elderly parents in homes and not providing the care traditionally that we did. It's almost like it's not being passed on to the next generation. And um, I think that life is fragile and unless we teach our youth to respect life amongst all these disastrous video games and horrific movies, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to lose a handle on this uh, before a generation wakes up and says this is just morally and ethically so wrong. Okay, so somebody asked, said bears have shown a huge increase in suicide in youth. Do you believe MAID could be used to allow and assist in suicide in teenagers? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the current the current law it does say um, you have to be uh, age eighteen um, currently um, to be able to consent. But uh, March seventeenth next year, they're allowing a depression and uh, anxiety and, and any mental disorder to be a qualifying condition for euthanasia. And the talk is that they're going to expand this to children. I mean, they're talking about infants and. It's um, the Hospital for Sick Children in, in Toronto. They had produced a report a few years ago 
saying that, yeah, all children should be able to be euthanized. Um, and uh, so it's, it's kind of the next inevitable step uh, as things are going. So, I, I, yeah, suicide prevention. I mean, once March 17th comes, forget about suicide prevention. It's suicide provision. That's what the government is yeah. going to be in the business of doing for those who are depressed. And uh, because this is a right, that's what they are saying. It is a right to die, uh, to interfere with a person's rights. Uh, that's going to be where uh, people are criminalized. Well, I think that's as well why they are strategically and 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 like this is being implemented, like as far as the breakdown of parental rights. And so we saw that in uh, April of 2021, where health officers across the nation strategically, obviously having planned it and discussed it in advance, all of a sudden opened the gates and said that children 12 to 17, you know, uh, could decide for themselves whether they were going to take this medical experimental injection without parental consent. And so just breaking down the power of the parent, and it's just been so frightening. My kids are grown, 27 and 29, and I can't tell you, I think I'd be packing them all up and moving to Hungary, uh, where Victor Orban, uh, Orban seems to have uh, a, a real good head on his shoulder as a president and uh, putting the value on life and family. And it, it's just absolutely a nightmare. I keep saying this is like the twilight zone. Somebody pinch me or wake me up because I can't believe this is happening. But, you know, we opened the door to this years ago where we didn't stand up uh, against this evil coming in. And so we got to stand up on mass now. Okay, I know it's late there, but if I could ask a couple of more questions, is that okay sure. with you? Do you have a few more <laughs> minutes for us? All right, David. Uh, I saw there was a form you could get from a lawyer to sign to say you don't want to be euthanized. Uh, have you heard about that? How do people get one if there is? Yeah, there are forms available, but I have to, I have to warn you because the problem is that um, consent is always in the moment. So... Um, your immediate, whatever your perceived consent is in, in that particular moment, if someone's talking to you, a medical professional, you're in a difficult situation and, and they're asking you about it. And, and if maybe you don't understand what they're asking and, and you're perceived as giving consent in that moment, it, not, it doesn't really matter what you've signed. Unfortunately, um, this, this law will say you gave consent. Um, it's, it's a very dangerous uh, law that we have right now. So, but yes, uh, those, those types of forms are, uh, are useful. They have a place for sure, but they're not a guarantee. Right. Okay. This is a very good question. Are the insurance companies recognizing these made deaths as legal deaths? Basically, are they paying out life insurance on a person who has been euthanized? Yeah, they are, um, because these deaths are not being put wow. down. Um, the primary cause is, is always the underlying condition. So if the person was disabled or the person had some sort of disease or whatever, they'll put that down as the cause of death. Uh, and they, the notation of MAID is, is kind of like secondary. And, and uh, yeah, they, it's, the insurance companies have to pay out. I'm, th I'm thinking, you know, that the insurance companies are probably, they're not going to fight this. They're going to make a clause because they ended up making a clause due to uh, people losing their businesses. And as a result, in their insurance, originally they had, uh, you know, a right to claim that loss. And then 
the insurance companies started to include that they did not cover um, a viruses and, and uh, you know, in an effort to get ahead of this. And so I can just foresee they're probably writing out those policies right now and getting ready to put another clause in that says that they won't uh, provide uh, insurance to those who have uh, um, euthanized themselves uh, because, it, you know, we've be got a, a good, lot of desperate... It would be a good, uh, good disincentive uh, if they did that. But unfortunately, this, uh, they, the government has treated this as a human right now so there's no way the insurance company would dare do that because it would be infringing on what is perceived as and what is uh, what the court has ruled as a human right to be killed. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, though, you know, because we've got, well, pre-COVID, they were annihilating the um, uh, workforce in Alberta getting rid of the uh, natural resource industry. These I heard from friends who knew friends who all, so many people knew somebody who was committing suicide pre-COVID in Alberta because, uh, you know, men and women had lost all of their whole livelihood. And then they were trying to find jobs, working two or three jobs to keep things going, again, breaking down relationships and homes. And so they were committing suicide at that point. And um, I foresee that individuals who now have lost their businesses, homes and jobs, and maybe they've got a million dollar, uh, you know, life insurance policy, they go and get euthanized, at least they know their family's covered. I mean, it is so sick and deep and dark what is going on right now. All right, I'm going to ask you one question. Sorry, people, I'm trying to go through. I wish you guys had raised your hand. Um, I, I don't quite get this one. Okay, it says... Uh, what are the requirements to ensure DNR requests are genuine, such as witnesses from outside the hospital system? There are many stories from the U.S. where COVID payments to hospitals incentivize doctors and hospitals administrators, I get it now, to claim the person signed a DNR when family members claim the victim was not in their right mind. And I'm, I'm looking at this as we know hospitals were getting paid to put people on remdesivir and light, uh, the uh, ventilators. And I wonder what kind of incentives they're gonna get for euthanizing people, bonuses. Well, I, I can tell you about one incentive uh, that uh, is happening here in New Brunswick in the Vitalite uh, Health District. Uh, just earlier in the year, they had their first um, made organ donation death, uh, which is a great incentive. So that means the person is basically killed um, and the way they're killed is to preserve the organ. So really they're mm -hmm. killed through the organ donation process. Uh, the person requested uh, uh, made apparently and uh, was an organ donor and the organs were um, yeah, distributed and uh, to however many people. And of course that's a great incentive for um, all the money generated through that process and uh yeah mm -hmm. so there's one incentive right there and there are others as well it saves money it just saves money to, to take someone's life instead of care for them yeah, that's right david thank you in the report that the weekly report i put out actually i touched on that point and i forgot about that is that again they were uh boasting how this would be great as far as organ donation was concerned i mean does this sound like communist china Right, yeah. where they're taking people's uh, organs, top dollar, 
and and then uh, selling them. And it's just so, like I said, dark, deep and evil. And I just keep appealing to people. We got to get on our knees. We got to repent. We got to ask the Lord to forgive us for everything in this nation that was ungodly that we've allowed to seep in from the murder of the infant in the womb, uh, from conception, like you say, to natural death, the murder of our elderly uh, throughout history. I'm talking biblical history. Nothing new is under the sun. We're repeating history right now. And that once you start start denying God, taking them out of school, taking them out of government, you start the sacrifice of babies and the killing and murder of babies. You start allowing sexual deviancy into a nation. It is a slippery slope right down the tube to, to evil. And we really need to turn this around. We need to start uh, caring about who we're electing into office, really doing our homework on who we're voting for and where they stand on these critical issues. And, um, you know, I've, I mentioned the last couple of weeks that we're having elections in uh, BC, uh, Manitoba, Ontario, PEI, the Yukon, I think the Northwest Territories. And, uh, you know, th- through this whole campaign in BC, I learned that 37 mayors automatically won their seats because there was nobody running against them. And this is why I want to get Action for Canada chapters deeply rooted into every single community, because I bet you if we had chapters with even 50 people in those towns and cities, in some of those towns, especially the smaller ones, we could have we could overturn uh, school board trustees. We could replace mayors and city councillors or town councillors. Uh, we can do this, people. And I believe that the elections right now, uh, the government's concerned. I think they're trying to cheat in the elections as well. Uh, some of them have the where it's the mail-ins. You need to get actively involved in the elections as well. You need to be there helping to count the votes. And uh, strategically, it's always been the left that have been involved in these things. But we got to get active and, and we need to get off our butts and do this because absolutely we, we can't complain unless we're actually doing something and involved in turning this around. And so, David, thank you so much. I, I've been meaning to have you on for quite a while. This was a very critical issue. And um, so is there anything in closing that you would like to add? Yeah, I just, uh, again, I want to mention this is a critical time. Next March, they're adding depression to the candidates for killing. Uh, and right now in Parliament, uh, they're doing a review uh, they were supposed to do this review last year. Uh, they said when they passed the original made legis- legislation in 2016, they said, we're going to do a five-year review. Everything's on the table. Um, but that whole review process has been delayed. And now it's turned into, instead of let's review it and consider, you know, maybe reducing or changing the law or, or even revoking the law. No, there's, the whole review process is how can we expand it? How can we do more killing, more categories? Uh, so let's. we need to really be speaking to the members of parliament. Uh, speak to the committee. You can make submissions to the committee. Uh, we, we need to really be hammering this over the next few months right now. Okay. Yeah, thank you, David. I, I know that, you know, there's, there's some good MPs out there. 
but we've had a lot of spineless ones over the last, that's really been revealed over the last three years, especially in the Conservative Party, where many of them didn't speak up until they wanted to run as uh, leadership of the Conservative Party, or, you know, worried about their position. Instead of stepping out and becoming an independent, they stayed with the Conservative Party, which is so corrupted at this point. And so we need to appeal to them, because I think there's a real shift taking place on these political issues uh, and they want to go where the votes are. And so we are the majority. And that's why we need more people writing to MPs, shifting the vote, because when they see a majority r- rise up, they're going to start making those talking points. And and we need to be the ones they're talking about. <laughs> and that can be done. All right, my friend, thank you so much. We're going to look forward to having you on again. David, again, is with Campaign Life Coalition. I'm sure that if this is going to be uh, before the Parliament again, you'll have other actions coming out. Uh, please let me know so that we can try to support this best we can. I love working with the allies that Action for Canada has. Always look at our partner page and you will know who uh, the strongest actors are in Canada right now as far as organizations are concerned who are really working hard on Canadians' behalf. And so, again, just I'm so grateful to David, uh, the issues that he's working on, again, for faith, family and freedom. He, he is a dear friend. Okay, so next week uh, on the Empower Hour, Barry Newfeld is going to be on with his lawyer, Paul Jaffe. We're going to talk about what happened in the court yesterday. By then, we'll have all of our videos are going to be loaded onto Rumble. We'll be putting them on Action for Canada's uh, Facebook page. So make sure that you are part of the uh, Facebook of Action for Canada. And um, it's going to be interesting talking to Barry. I know one of the questions that we when he came out and had an opportunity to give us an update, when he went uh, and appealed the decision by Judge Ross in BC as far as uh, taking on, uh, furthering the action with Glenn Hansman, the former uh, president of the BC Teachers Federation, and uh, Judge Ross had ruled on Glenn Hansman's behalf and in his favor, and Barry ended up appealing it. Three BC appeal court judges ended up overturning Judge Ross's decision and voted in favor of Barry. And it took approximately approximately six months before he ended up, uh, you know, finding out what the decision of the courts had been. And so we were he was in court yesterday. So we've got potentially six months before we hear a decision. We need to be praying about this decision. And I said yesterday, if these uh, appeal, if these Supreme Court appeal court judges are going to be doing their job. They know the Constitution. They know the rule of law. They're going to vote in Barry's behalf. There is no doubt that there's defamation. That's what this case is about. And if not, if these judges are corrupted, then we as Canadians are going to rise up even stronger than before. And we're going to keep going until this is turned over. And justice does prevail in the Supreme Court of Canada. All right. I just want to thank you all for joining us tonight. And for those of you who watch us later on Rumble and just say, God bless you and God bless Canada.
to care for one another again and love on each other and give each other the help when they're down.